0: Listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Balcom as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life. Starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balcom and this is the Save the Marriage Podcast, the podcast I designed to help you save your marriage whether it's at the beginning of your marriage where you realize you don't have the tools to get to the connection you want to, or whether you're at the struggling point of your relationship where you're trying to figure out how do you move forward based on where things are. And so many things can come along in our relationship. So many disruptors are out there. What keeps us together is important, and what that is is connection, and there is another piece of constantly changing ourselves. And the other big piece is standing as a we, being a part of a committed relationship, that you rely on the commitment, as I talk about the north star of your relationship, being commitment to the relationship, that you are deciding things based on keeping that relationship going. The connection is behind all of that. It keeps you in relationship together, and it's part of what leads to that deep connection, even those romantic feelings that can be there in your relationship as long as you attend to the connection. The problem is what happens when the connection wanes? What happens when the connection fails the relationship, when you haven't nurtured it? And that's pretty much where the trouble begins. And then along the way, we stagnate. So the relationship stagnates, the individual stagnates, the marriage stagnates. Now, up until COVID, up until the pandemic, I had been answering questions that were submitted by people. And then we got off on to how do you deal with the issues of the pandemic? So I went through a number of weeks of how you deal with that. And then I realized just this week that I hadn't gotten back to some questions and I got a very important question. So I want to get back to that. Now, if you have a question yourself, if you've got something that you want me to focus on, let me know. Send me an email at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. So this particular email, and I'm not going to use a name, uh, is about what happens when there's a third party that comes into the relationship when somebody is involved with somebody else outside of the marriage, when there is an affair, whether it's emotional or physical. And the question is, what if you want to break away from that relationship and yet you feel these attachments to that other person? The story is pretty familiar. There's disconnection in the marriage. That generally is what drives the danger point to an outside person. So just for a minute, let me just help you understand. Part of what happens when there is an affair is two things have failed simultaneously. The first thing is that there's not enough connection in the relationship. Connection is kind of like the lifeblood of it, and we as humans are wired for that connection. And so when the uh, connection isn't in the relationship, it leaves it exposed and vulnerable to the fact that somebody might look For that connection somewhere else. We're we're drawn into connection. We humans are connective, relational creatures. You know, we don't go off on, well, not many of us, (laughs) there are some of us who decide to be hermits, but most of us want to be around other people. And that doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. We want to be around other people in relationship to other people, maybe lots of people, maybe a few people, but we need people around us. That's just how we are. We're social creatures and a marriage is a particularly tight social connection the most significant connection point in a relationship but even there that connection can wane over time it can it's more like more like the tide where sometimes it's high tide sometimes it might be low tide And the question is, what do you do when the tide goes out, when the connection goes out, when for whatever reason, maybe you hit the pause button, maybe just you're busy with lots of things or something else has happened. There's an argument, there's a disagreement, there's a disconnection. At that point, there is a vulnerability. So the first thing that happens in an affair is that there is a vulnerability caused by disconnection between two people. In reality, both people are responsible for having been in a disconnected relationship and not taking steps to repair it. But then something else has to happen. Somebody has to violate the boundaries of the relationship. What keeps the relationship safe? That's what boundaries do. If you have a yard and you put a fence around it, that's the boundary of your yard to let people know this is your property to keep people away. So our personal boundaries or how we won't let people treat us. Our relationship boundaries is how we protect the relationship from outside forces. We all have to decide that. It's one of those difficult conversations that couples often don't have about what do we do to protect the relationship. Usually you have something in mind, but sometimes those boundaries are not held tightly. And because of that, the vulnerability from a lack of connection— suddenly has also the risk from not having the boundaries. And all it takes is the right person or the wrong person at the wrong time, but the right person at the right time to be willing to let them in to the boundaries that should be protected and willing to allow them to be a part of your connection rather than restoring the missing connection in your relationship. So that's what happens that leads to affairs, Generally speaking, there are lots of people who work with affairs who want to create a kind of a taxonomy of affairs. They come up with lots of subcategories. But when I boil it down, that's really what it amounts to, a lack of connection and a lack of boundaries. Now, there is one exception to that, and those are people who suffer from addictions to either sex or relationships, and so their affairs are really ways of getting their uh, their addiction met. But that's not the common, the common kind of everyday, ordinary uh, level of an affair. Generally, those come from disconnection and vulnerability of the boundaries. So I wrote a book about how do you recover from the affairs <clears throat> because I knew that a lot of people come out of an affair and they still want to stay in their relationship or they still want to stay married to the person who had the affair. So there has to be a way of healing that. That book, Recovering from the Affair, you can find it by going to theaffairbook.com, theaffairbook.com. But Recovering from the Affair assumes that you have some understanding and readiness and maybe even you're beyond the affair and you're trying to repair it, which brings us to today's question, because it's not as if an affair happens in a vacuum, it's just this person and you just cut them off and they're gone. That would be the fantasy of a spouse whose spouse has had the affair, that suddenly that that affair partner can disappear and the connection can disappear. But in reality, there's a bond that's created. The problem is it's an inappropriate bond. So in this email... Uh, the person says that we are trying to end it, but the pull is strong, and my brain keeps telling me that it wouldn't. It feel like it wouldn't feel like this if it wasn't meant to be, which is our first little place where the brain is playing tricks on us. The person continues, "I understand con- confirmation bias at play, but I can't get past it." And says, "My spouse is a good person, holds me on a pedestal." And it's me who needs to make the shift. So the email continues. So my question is, um, how do you get this friend, in quotes, out of my head? How do I stop comparing the two? How do I convince myself that my marriage really can be the, quote, soulmate, end quote, connection I'm yearning for? That these exciting feelings that exist with my, quote, friend can be with my husband and that my marriage wasn't just a relationship I settled for. Okay, so I want to take these a little bit at a time, piece by piece. First, I want you to remember the fact that we forget feelings in the past. We forget how we felt exactly because we base it on how we feel now, which brings the the reality that our memories are not perfect. We don't remember things as they were. We rather imagine what those feelings were, what those memories were. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is people tell me that, you know, how they feel with this affair partner is not how they felt with their spouse. And what they're really doing is comparing the current feelings with the affair partner with the current feelings with a spouse, you know, the one that you've weathered years with, decades even with. And that's an unfair comparison. I remember one time I had somebody in my office and he was saying, this is just so unlike anything else. I feel so in love and, and all these strong emotions. And, you know, I didn't feel that with my spouse. And I said, didn't or don't right now? And he said, well, I certainly don't right now. And I said, okay, tell me more about your, the beginning of your relationship. And he began to track back and he realized that he did feel the feelings, but as they evaporated over time based on disconnection, he lost track of those feelings so let's bring up one very clear truth about humans. We are built in attraction. We we live in bodies that naturally attract. And in fact, we are embodied in these attraction, connection bodies. So just because you are in a committed relationship doesn't mean that you wouldn't notice that somebody else is attractive, that somebody else can even you know, hit your desire path and that, that you can have a strong draw to that person. The question is, what do you do with the boundaries, right? That's why you have boundaries. That's why we create boundaries. That's why in a wedding ceremony, we say that we forsake all others. It's not, there's nowhere in the, the, the marriage vow that says, and I'll never feel anything else for anyone else. It just says, we'll keep them away. We'll keep our relationship safe because that's what we humans are built on. Your friends are people that you have some level of attraction. And I'm not just talking sexual here, but there's some level of attraction, some reason you click with some people. And there's some people that you just don't click with for whatever reason. There's a chemistry to it. In fact, indeed, science shows that there is a chemical reaction in the brain of the bonding, which brings us to what happens when you throw that like-mindedness in with a sexual attraction and suddenly the chemistry clicks and you experience infatuation. Now, infatuation, we often give it as kind of the, uh, that's a bad thing because infatuation, you know, that it's not real. But infatuation does very important things in our lives. It creates the beginning point of a bond. If I'm infatuated with somebody, I start trying to learn more about them. So when I met my now wife, When she strolled into my room and introduced herself because she wanted to go with a group of us to the movies, I immediately went, wow, she's cute. That was my immediate attraction point. But then as I got to know her, I became more and more infatuated and attracted to her. And because of the more infatuation, the more I wanted to know about her. And the more I got to know, the more the bond began to grow beneath that. So infatuation ends up being that beginning point. But infatuation doesn't last forever in any relationship. And that's the first, first myth that people believe about this affair partner, that they're going to feel this way for the rest of their lives. They won't. You can't. It's not possible with the way our brain is wired there is a period when our brain works on excitement. We call it mad with love because our brain really is acting as if there's some level of madness to it, right? There's some level of even mania to our wanting to be with this person, wanting to do kind of the all-consuming process of that. It comes close to a mania, and it comes close to uh, being um, a, a little bit more than just interested, Right. But we actually get to the level where we're preoccupied, almost obsessed with this other person because something clicked. That's the infatuation process. It's there to create a bond, but it's not the bond. It's just the chemical process in our brain that keeps hitting us with hits of dopamine. So that's the nature of the attraction, And the attraction does fade because the brain has to go back to a normal state at some point because life has to get back to normal. And so the first lie that people tell themselves in an affair is this is forever. This is different than anything else. This is unique to this relationship. It's not. It just feels that way. And we tend to forget that we've had those feelings in other places because we don't do a good job with our emotional memories, We also don't do a good job of forecasting our emotions forward. We don't remember them well backward, and we don't project them well forward. We think that where we are right now, the bad feelings we might have in a committed relationship and the good feelings we have towards this new infatuation are truth, not mental states. So you are indeed correct, the person who wrote this letter, you are indeed correct that it's your brain that keeps telling you, you wouldn't feel this way because it's trying to keep you getting that hit of dopamine, right? It's kind of like the lab rat hitting the thing, getting a treat. Ooh, that was fun. Part of what happens in infatuation is the adrenaline is flowing and adrenaline is based in some level of the risk factor the fear factor which is part of what's happening in the midst of an affair so even though there's an attraction there's also a fear level to it you're not doing something you, you know you're doing something you know you shouldn't do so you're not doing what you know you should do first of all second what happens if people find out third there's this new experience of it and so all of that creates a very rich uh, bath of uh, those chemicals in our brain that's artificially created. It's not about the other person. It's about the situation and circumstances. And so recognize that your brain is lying to you, first of all, to try to get that hit of dopamine. But the second thing I notice is you say, we are trying to end it, but the pull is strong. When anybody tells me they're trying to do something, I recognize that what they're really saying is they're not really doing it fully, right? they they are in many ways just giving uh, uh, some pieces to it. They're, they're gonna, they're, it's like I'm going to try to diet until something comes along that gets our attention. I'm going to try to exercise until our schedule gets disrupted, which is different than saying I'm eating differently. I'm eating healthily or I am exercising. That's what I do. A while back, I was talking with someone. And they told me they were trying to write a book. And I said, what does trying look like? I mean, do you try to pick up the pen? Do you try to use the keyboard? Or are you going to say, I, that's what I do. I write. I write a book. I write some words each day, which will add up to a, a book. The people who say they're going to try to do something rarely get it done. So how would you do this better? You don't try to break it off. You break it off. You end the connection points. You delete them from your phone. You delete them from your social media. You get rid of any apps that you were using to communicate on the side. You don't exchange emails. You don't find ways of communicating. You don't find ways of passing paths. You don't meet up anywhere. You cut it off. You make it a wall. And it's going to be difficult because there is a certain addictive nature to the relationship. When you're getting that dopamine hit that you haven't been getting somewhere else, it feels good enough that you're like, I don't know what I want to do without that. Well, you're buying into the fact that you couldn't get it in your relationship, in your marital relationship, and so you're pretending that the only place it could happen is there. But you have to cut it off and go through the withdrawal process. Painful? Yes. Necessary? Absolutely. If you want to get back on the path of your marriage, there are people who decide not to. But if you want to get back on your path, you have to end it completely. It's not to try. It's to do. You say, I'm going to cut it off. Which brings us to some rationalizations people use. One is that they found their soulmate. The problem with the soulmate idea is there's this belief that it's that one person, the soulmate that speaks to your soul. And what we know by research is that people who believe in their soulmate tend to have less successful relationships than those who go, I'm going to make it work by doing the hard work. Because the soulmate myth means that when things are tough, your myth gets shattered, when you hit the tough times, you go, oh my gosh, it's not my soulmate and I don't know what to do. So let's assume that the way you get to soulmate is you make it. There are two ways, two paths to think of to soulmate. One is made, the other is meant. So the meant one is the one I'm talking about. It's meant to be. This is the person I'm meant to be with. That's a false myth. Made that's different. To say, how can we get into alignment together? How can we work together to move in the direction we want to go? That's powerful. When couples work together to be each other's soulmates, they focus on the connection. They agree to work on that connection and build it. So how do you get this friend out of your mind? Well, you get him out of your mind. You cut off connection and you rebuild the connection with your spouse because that's the roots of this. The disconnection happened that made it vulnerable, and so the way back is to recognize that that's not where you want to be, that where you really want to build it is into the commitment that you made. So you cut off the other source and shift back to where it needs to be. You create the strong boundaries around it, And you work on rebuilding the relationship. Now, let me just say, as I've said on many things, this is simple, not easy. I recognize that because you're getting a need met there, there's a risk. It feels like a risk to give that up. Let me suggest that the reason you wrote in is because you're recognizing that this isn't really the way you want it to be that you wanted to get back into your relationship and find a soulmate relationship that you build with your spouse, a connected relationship that you build with your spouse. So the first thing you have to do is to make sure there is no way back to this other person. You cut it off completely and you commit to that. And if they try to contact you, you block them. And if you both find yourself vulnerable – You find somebody who can talk you through it and stand with you and sit with you, even if it's not your spouse at that moment, because that could feel pretty risky to your spouse. It can be somebody else, a trusted friend who can walk you through that process when you're feeling particularly vulnerable to make sure you stay safe, that you keep yourself safe. And then as you work forward, you begin to work to restore the relationship One of the things that matters in a marriage is finding a new alignment with your spouse where you know where you want to head in life together and you work to build the connection that will get you there. So there's this word I keep spitting out, connection. How do you work towards it? Well, if you're struggling with rebuilding the connection in an appropriate way, that'd be a great time to grab the Save the Marriage system. That's the program where I talk about how you build and heal the connection that hasn't been there, how you heal the disconnection and build the new connection, how you find the new path back, how do you build being a we into the relationship that you have committed to being a we in. You didn't know that was what you're doing, but that's really the heart of a marriage. That's the secret. If anybody wants to know the secret of having a great marriage, become a we. That's it. That's the secret. But you got to know how to get there, and that's what I cover in the Save the Marriage system. So now we know that the relationship, the inappropriate relationship, is fueled by the need for connection that wasn't getting met somewhere else and that the boundary was violated to allow it to come in. You can find healing, I've got uh, information on that in my book on healing from the affair. You can find that at theaffairbook.com. That's theaffairbook.com. And by the way, I do talk about that attraction, what fuels that attraction and what you need to do about that. And then if you need help in restoring your relationship, of building it to what it should have been, that's how you save the marriage. You can find that at savethemarriage.com. That's Mm savethemarriage.com. And this is Lee Balcom wishing you the best. As you work, to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.